Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. God, we're singing these songs once again, not because it's a box that we have to check or because it's what you do in church, but because you're worthy of our songs. And, and we do it, we, we say these things about you to a tune because we think it sounds really pretty and we hope that you do too. We hope that it honors you. And today, God, as we talk about Jesus, I pray that this, this message today would not be so informational, but rather, God, that it would leave us just simply in awe of what you have done for us and the generous gift you gave us in your son. In Jesus' name, we pray that. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much for coming to Three Creeks today. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here, and I think it's officially legal to say Merry Christmas, and we're halfway through a series called The Curious Case of Jesus Christ, where we are going through the life of Jesus in reverse. We started a couple weeks ago after he ascended from the, or after he rose from the grave and was interacting with people in his resurrected body, and we're, we're moving all the way, but we're going backwards to the point where Jesus will be in the manger here in a couple weeks. And it really doesn't matter what you think about church, what you think about God, what you think about religion, it, it, uh, it doesn't matter when it comes to the fact that Jesus is undoubtedly the most influential, compelling person in the history of the world, and it's not even close. And if you tried to Google that, most influential person in the world, you would find no one can hold a candle to the influence that this person, Jesus Christ, had. And, and it doesn't really matter what you believe about him as it relates to his claims and whether they were true or not. That is true that he was that influential. And it's true that the, the simple aim of somebody who considers himself or herself a Christ follower like myself, the simple aim of my life is to be like him, is to adopt his lifestyle and his character and to talk like him and to rest like him and to be generous like him and to hang out with kids like him and to believe in the next generation like him. And to serve like him in every area of my life, it's, it's my duty, if you will, as a Christian to want to be like him and to imitate Jesus. Isn't it fascinating? Consider this. Isn't it fascinating that in 2023, 2,000 years later, we are still all over the world talking about Jesus Christ? Because when the Romans crucified him on a cross, they thought they were stopping the movement they thought this is going to be the end. And consider this too. Thousands of people were killed on Roman crosses. Thousands. You probably don't even know one other person that was killed on a Roman cross, but thousands of people were. And 2,000 years later, we're talking about one of them. Because while the Romans thought, okay, let's kill him. We're going to shut this movement down. Little did they know that this was just the beginning of a movement that would transform the whole world. There's not much that's notable about Jesus's upbringing. He was born to a poor family, to a mom and an adoptive father, 
in a little town called Galilee. Nothing really noteworthy about Galilee. That's where he grew up. He swung a hammer with his dad in a wood shop for 30 years. He never held political office. He never wrote a book. He only traveled a few hundred years in his whole life. He never got married, never went to college, and we're still talking about him. And not just in church. He is depicted in episodes of South Park. He is on Family Guy. Our calendar, we tell time based on his life before Christ is BC. And then now we're 2023 AD, which stands for Anno Domino, which is translated the year of our Lord. So we're, we're measuring time based on the person of Jesus Christ. Ricky Bobby prays to him. Kanye, Carrie Underwood, U2, and the Killers all sing songs about him. People who score touchdowns point to him. People who are in hospitals are praying to him, even though they've never really talked to him before. There's a Broadway play called Jesus Christ Superstar, and when you stub your toe, you say his name, whether or not you know him or not. He's the most compelling, influential person in the history of the world, but truly, on a very personal level, let me just ask you a question. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? In my opinion, and according to the Bible, that is the most important question that you will ever answer in your life. Who do you say that Jesus is? As this series has gone on, I, I've, I've stopped and I've focused on one story in Jesus' life. We're at the midway point. We're going to call this halftime in our series. And I'm not going to go to one story. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story. And I'm going to bring in some different passages of Scripture into it. And I hope that you find this as fascinating as I did. Do you remember in the good old days? In the good old days when uh, we, would, we would order a package and we would have to wait multiple days to get it. Do you guys remember these days? Back when we had floppy disks and went to Blockbuster and hoped that Ross and Rachel would end up together. Back in the good old days. The, the late 90s when you would order something and then what you would have to do as the internet became a thing, before Amazon Prime became a thing, you'd have to use the tracking number to figure out where it was. Do you guys remember this? And it would take three or four days. And, and did, do you ever remember ordering a package that you cared a lot about where it was at every moment that it was on the way to your house? For me, that one package, the most significant package I think I ever ordered was Morgan's engagement ring. I was living in Ohio. I had to order it from Indiana. And so it was being shipped to me, and I was a mess, man. I, I had wanted to be married since I was like nine, so this is a big moment for me. I got to get the ring, and, uh, and I'm, I'm punching in the tracking number. Well, one of the unique things about where I lived, I lived at a place called Beulah Beach, and all of our packages uh, would get shipped to the camp office rather than our homes, which was fine six days a week because somebody would be in the office and would be able to sign for it. Well, the office is closed on Monday and as fate would have it, the package is supposed to arrive on a Monday. So I'm thinking, well, even though it's my day off, I've got to post up at the camp office because I've got to sign for this thing. So I'm at my apartment, and I'm punching the, the UPS tracking number, and it says, oh, it's arrived at the local store or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got a couple hours before I have to go down to the office. What I'll do is I'll just keep refreshing this, and then when it says out for delivery, I'll go set up shop and make sure I can sign for it. So I'm in my apartment, and I don't know what I'm doing, but essentially I hit refresh, and uh, it says delivered. And I'm thinking, well, how could it be delivered? Nobody's at the office. Who signed for it? 
So I run down, or no, no, I call UPS and I'm like, hey, hey, this is Joel, serious package coming my way. Somebody, it says delivered, but I wasn't there, I never signed for it. And they said, Ken signed for it. I'm like, who's Ken and why did he sign for it and is he a thief? And so I'm, I'm, I run down and, I, and then it dawns on me, my mind is going a million miles an hour, it dawns on me that Ken, there's a guy named Ken that lives in the Beulah Beach community. So in a snowstorm, I'm trekking through Beulah Beach and I go up to Ken's house and I bang on his door, Ken! You know, I'm, I, I wasn't really mad yet, but my mind was kind of going a lot of directions and, and Ken wasn't home. And I'm like, did he go to Mexico with the ring? I don't know. He could have done anything with this thing at this point. So I don't really know what else to do. So I run down to the Beulah Beach office and I'm fumbling with my keys and my hands are freezing and I open the door and I go in there and on the ground there's a little brown box and it says Joel Trainer on it. And uh, apparently Ken had been there when the post office guy had gotten there and had just signed for it, had just left it there, you know, outside the office. And, and I, I picked it up and I used some scissors to to open it up and three little angels flew out and began to sing and then the ring it was there and I can just remember just a lot of emotion with that I was so excited to get married to Morgan and I can't remember in my whole life a gift that I anticipated quite like that I wonder if maybe you have a gift or a package that you've ever ordered that you were tracking the whole time well in hindsight I had to wait two days not that long in the grand scheme of things. Two days. And today what I want to do is I want to highlight a package, a delivery, a gift that was on its way for about 4,000 years. And the anticipation that these, this group of people would have had waiting for this gift that was far more significant than my ring that I bought. You see, I want to just kind of, if you will, just go on this little like journey this morning. I want to insert you into a story that I made up, but I think it might paint a picture of what it would have been like to wait for this gift, to understand the impact that Jesus had on the world. You've got to understand how long people waited for him. So I want you to picture for a second. Two 25-year-old guys just going on a run. Two 25-year-old guys going on a run. They are Jewish, and the year is 15 B.C., 15 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And as 25-year-old Jewish guys, they would have all through school, all growing up, every teacher would have at some point said, Hey, remember, one of the most important parts about who we are as a people is that, is that we are waiting for somebody that we're calling the Messiah. We're waiting for the Deliverer. We're waiting for the Savior. It has been prophesied by all of the prophets in our, in our nation's history, and so we are waiting for him. And, and, and they would have grown up be memorizing portions of the Old Testament, and they would have grown up memorizing all these prophecies because all of these people are waiting for this special package and when the special package, when the special gift comes, everybody's going to want to know if it really is the Messiah. And so these guys have committed to memory all these passages in the Old Testament. There are 400 passages in the Old Testament that some of these people would, would have been memorized. So I'm imagining, just picture it, these two guys going on a run. 
They want to know, man, if the Messiah comes in our day, we want to be able to say that was him. And so they're going on a run, and, and I imagine that they're just going to kind of quiz each other on some of this stuff. Maybe they just learned some of the new ones recently, and so they're going to quiz each other. And so one of the guys says, all right, I'll just say the, I'll say the verse, I'll say who wrote it, and then you tell me what it is. And, and the first runner says, all right, Genesis 49.10. They didn't have chapters and verses then, but I'm doing it for my story. Genesis 49.10, and the other runner goes, he will come from the tribe of Judah. We know that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah, and he quotes Genesis 49 that says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants. And the guy goes, all right, one for one. Do you got one for me? And he says, sure. How about Isaiah 7, 14? And the other runner says, he will be born of a virgin. He says, quote it. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. These were all written hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth. Two for two. Good job. How about Micah 3-2? Oh, the other runner says, that's an easy one. I know that one. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. That's where he will be born. He says, quote it. And he says, oh, I'll quote it. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in distant past will come from you on my behalf. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Three for three. Stick with me. Just two more. Here's the fourth one. Hosea 11, verse 1. This is a really unique one. He's going to live his youth in Egypt. Quote it. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. This Messiah, when he comes, even though he's going to be from our parts, born in Bethlehem, for some reason, he's going to live in Egypt when he's a kid. One more. Isaiah 35. The Messiah will do many miracles. And the guy says, quote it. And he quotes, when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. He will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer. And those who cannot speak will sing for joy. And they could have gone on and on and on and on 400 times. Identifiers that would be able to, when the Messiah came, people would go, he checks the boxes. Micah and Hosea and Isaiah and Moses and all of these other Old Testament prophets, you see, they would say, they, they would prophesy things like this. God would lead them to say things and People would write it down. Maybe they would write it down. And, but prophets weren't winging it. They weren't gambling. Because if you prophesied something and it didn't come to be true, you would be killed. And so these guys aren't just kind of throwing it out there, you know, hoping for the best. These are, this is a word from God that they wrote down that the people took as truth. And they would have committed it to memory so that the Messiah comes in their lifetime. They will be able to tell who he is. Fast forward in our story, 17 years. The year is now 2 AD. These guys are 42 years old. They're not running as much as they used to. They're busy cleaning up spaghetti sauce and taking kids to swim lessons. And, and at this time, they, they get together, and rather than going on a run, of course, they go on a walk, because that's what 42-year-olds do. And in this conversation, the mood is not quite as boisterous because in 2 AD, this is the topic of their conversation. One of the guys says to the other guy, hey, did you hear what happened in Bethlehem? 
Did you hear what Herod did? And he said, I, I heard about it, but is, is it true? I mean, I wasn't there to see it. Is it true what actually happened? You see, Herod, who was the evil king at the time, had heard that people were claiming that the Messiah had been born. And if the Messiah had been born, then that threatens everything about Herod's kingdom. And because he cares nothing for the Jews and nothing for the Jews' kids, he goes in and sends his soldiers to kill every boy under the age of two. It's, it's a national tragedy. And they begin to think about their friends that lived in Bethlehem, the, the people that they knew that had traveled to Bethlehem, wondering, did that happen to their family? And, and they begin to wonder, like, what would cause Herod to do that? Is he really that evil? What is the motive behind this evil decree that this king has, has put on all of these families? And they begin to just talk about why in the world that would have happened. And, and obviously there are no words to describe what that actually would have been like. And so I'm just going to stop there. Fast forward 28 more years. The year is now 30 A.D., they're 70 years old now. They're not walking as much as they used to. They're certainly not running as much as they used to. One of the guys is kind of in his house at night, and he heard something that day in the market, and he just kind of can't shake what he heard. And so he gets his walking stick, and he kind of just kind of moseys over to his buddy's house. Same guys that were running 45 years earlier. And he goes over, you know, it's evening maybe, and he knocks on the door, and People don't really visit this family that often. And so the other guy that's in there kind of brings his lantern over and shines it out the window and says, who's out there? And he says, it's me. Oh, it's me. Okay, well, come on in. And so they come in and they sit down and he says, I, I need to have a conversation with you. We need to talk about something that I heard today in the market. I can't shake it. I need to know what you think about this. He said, what I heard was there's this man, apparently his name is Jesus. That's what people call him. And he is doing, or at least claiming to do, people are saying that he has done miraculous things. There's a wedding a couple weeks ago. There are all these cisterns full of water. And, and by all accounts, the water turned into wine because of Jesus. There was a man who was blind, and Jesus apparently rubbed mud on his eyes, and he was able to see. There was a, there was a lame man. He literally had never walked a day in his life. And Jesus touched him and healed him, and he went walking away, carrying his mat. Says that it actually, people say that he was running away, leaping, praising God that he had been healed. And, and, and get this, man, I don't know if we got to check this out. They're saying he's the Messiah. They're, they're, people are saying the word Messiah, and I don't really know what to do with that because we've been waiting for 4,000 years for this, and I just don't know. And, and the, the buddy says, well, let's just see if he checks the boxes. Let's see if he fulfills the prophecies. If he doesn't fulfill the prophecies, then he can't be the Messiah. And so they begin to go through those same verses that they had been talking about on their run 45 years earlier. Remember, he's got to come from the tribe of Judah. And so they begin to do their research. And they go, what tribe is he from? Is he from the tribe of Simeon? Is he from the tribe of Reuben? Or is he really from the tribe of Judah? And according to Matthew who wrote the, the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, 
a descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jake was the, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. He comes from the tribe of Judah. Okay, he checks that box, but he's got to check them all. Isaiah said that he will be born of a virgin. How is that even possible? Was he born of a virgin? Well, according to Luke, the doctor's account in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, this is what it says about Mary. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, baby born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Checks out. Micah said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Where was he born? I heard this guy lives in Galilee. Galilee's different than Bethlehem. So if he wasn't born in Bethlehem, the whole thing, he can't be the Messiah. Well, as it turns out, right before Mary was due to have the baby, Mary and Joseph had to just, you know, happenstance travel to Bethlehem for the census. In Luke chapter 2, it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. Okay. Wow. So he's from the line of Judah. And he was, you know, at least Joseph saying that, they, that she was a virgin. But it checks out. Apparently, according to Mary's testimony, he was born in Bethlehem. Hosea 11 says he will live in Egypt in his youth. Did he ever even go to Egypt? And they reflect on the conversation that they had on their walk earlier in their lives when they heard about evil Herod and what Herod had done to all of those families. And it was during that time that an angel visited Joseph. Guess where Jesus spent a lot of his childhood years? In Matthew chapter 2, 13, it tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until you return, until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. And so that night, Joseph left for Egypt with his child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. Isaiah said the Messiah is going to do miracles. Has he done miracles? I mean, making blind people see and lame people walk, to me, is a miracle. The first four gospels, the first four books of the New Testament are just full of these miraculous things that Jesus has done. And, and maybe, maybe, and I think I've got to say this, maybe you're like, eh, I'm kind of out on the Bible. That's folklore, and I'm not sure if that stuff actually happened. Well, there's a very trusted, secular, Greco-Romano historian that wrote this. His name was Josephus, Flavius Josephus. He wrote this, about this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. This is a secular account. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. And there's a lot more that he wrote that is unbelievable. But I've got to stop there for the sake of time. And these two guys look at each other and they're going, wait a minute. This really could be him. In our lifetime, can you believe it? The Messiah has come. 
And they could have kept going to prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. They could have spent all night looking stuff up, asking questions, and they would have found that Jesus was checking all of the boxes. And so you would think that the conclusion that they would have come to when looking at these prophecies that were written hundreds, some thousands of years before Jesus was born, they would have to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, that he really is God in the flesh, that he is the savior of the world and potentially the savior of their souls. But not everybody did. I mean, you know this, right? Not every, not every Jew accepted that Jesus was the package, the gift that they were waiting for. Some do. Some believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but if you would go to Israel even today, you would find people that are Jewish who are still waiting for the Messiah because they don't think that Jesus was him. Some of them might even go, far, go so far to say, you know, he was a good teacher. He's a wise man in our history. He was misunderstood on the other side, people go, he was a madman, he was a false prophet. There's a lot, of, a lot of thoughts about Jesus out there. You travel all over the whole world and you'll find a lot of definitions of who people say that Jesus is. But let me make it personal again for you. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? If it was me and you sitting across the table with a cup of coffee in our hands and I asked you the question, who is Jesus Christ? Who do you say that he is? What would your answer be to that question? What would your answer be? Good teacher, wise man, guy from the Bible, nice guy, good with kids? Or would you say that he is God in the flesh? That he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world? that he is the savior of our souls, if that would be the answer, if that is your answer, then immediately, in, as those words are coming out of your mouth, that he is God and he is the savior and he is Messiah, if that is your answer, then a few other things are immediately true as well. Think about this. A few other things are immediately true at the same time. Number one, he is worthy of complete surrender. He's worthy of total surrender. In other words, there's no part of our lives that we then hide from God and don't let him touch. If he really is God, if that really is the answer, then it's true that he would be worthy of total surrender where we look at every part of our life and go, there's nothing I'm going to keep from you, hide from you. I'm, I'm going to let you transform all of it. And another thing would be that he is, he is worthy of imitation. That if that answer, if that is your answer, then immediately he's worthy of imitation, meaning that, that as a Christ follower, we begin to look around and go, how can we walk in the way of love? How can we live in an others-oriented way? How can, tell me the details. How can I order a gift on the gift shop again? Tell, tell me the details. How can I serve 283 families next weekend? Tell me that again, because my goal in life is to imitate Christ. He compels me to love others. If that isn't your answer, and if you're just not really sure where Jesus, who, who, who Jesus is, you're still figuring that out. Well, then what I'm, what I'm also saying is that 
all of this is optional. It's very optional. Because why would you follow and try to imitate somebody that you don't believe in? But if you are a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, then immediately, total surrender, total commitment to walking in the love. You guys, doesn't it make the most sense? You're sensible people. Doesn't it make the most sense then to trust him with everything? It doesn't it, it doesn't almost seem dumb to try to hold back from him and not be like him. If he really is God, if he really is the Savior, if he really is the Messiah, and I believe that he is, then total surrender and total commitment to walk in the way of love, well, then that's just, that just makes the most sense because he's God. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.